Hey, welcome to Hope. My name is Nate. I'm the lead pastor here at Hope Church, where every weekend we joyfully anticipate good things from an amazing God. You know, that's what hope is. It's to joyfully anticipate or expect something good. And we want to say thank you for joining us and choosing to bring hope into your home today. In the midst of fear and uncertainty, we come to you with a message of hope that even though we live in uncertain times, we can be certain about the love that God has for us. We can be certain about the future that God promises us. He says, I know, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I'm certain about them. They are thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, there are so many people in our world saying this virus is God's judgment on our planet somehow, but the Bible is very clear in James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father of light with whom there's no shadow of turning. There's no darkness. There's no deception. Our God only does good things, and you can be confident. He's going to work this crisis together for good. It's true that this virus has been a huge disruption to so many people's lives. Whole life travel and schedules have been disrupted. Business is being disrupted. The economy is being disrupted. Healthcare systems are being disrupted. Home life has definitely been disrupted. If you're a parent, all of a sudden you just became a homeschool teacher somehow in the past couple of weeks. People have lost their jobs. Some people have lost so much investment. Everything is like on pause. And it's disturbing the amount of loss there's been in just two or three weeks. But just because there's disruption, it does not mean that we should go down in defeat. As people of hope, we may be disrupted, but we are never defeated. We are those who joyfully anticipate good things from an amazing God. We're not depressed. We're not downcast. We're choosing to put our hope in God. I love Psalm 42.5 where David is feeling down in the dumps and he says this to himself. He talks to himself. He says, why are you so downcast? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Then he tells himself, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Sometimes we get so isolated or depressed, and we start self-talk, we start talking to ourselves, and it's usually not good. It goes like in a spiral motion. But David is talking to himself, and he's challenging himself. He's lifting, calling himself higher, saying, why are you so depressed, soul? Why are you so sad, mind, will, and emotions? Why are you in your feelings this way? You need to get out of your feelings, out of your emotions, step away from the hype, and put your hope in God. In this time of disruption, we got to be those people who hold on to hope. We got to be hope people, people of hope who dispense hope and also receive hope. I like that David is like saying it to himself hey man, let's get some new vision in the middle of uncertainty. Let's get some joyful anticipation for the days ahead of us. And then after you receive hope, you always get faith. Something starts to rise up inside of you where you start believing in the future. In other words, hope comes first, faith comes second. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You need some hope. In that sequence, it comes hope, then 
faith. You need some hope before you get some faith. You might feel disrupted, but if you have hope, you need to understand you are never going to be defeated. The best is still to come, and not only are the best and brightest days ahead for the church, I want you to hear me. I don't need you to just tell you this. Whatever you're watching from, the best days are still to come for you and your family. Come on, if you believe it, comment, not defeated. Right in the comments, say, not defeated, not defeated disrupted not defeated I'm so excited that we are not defeated we've been in a series of talks called free delivery the opposite of defeat is someone who always delivers we serve a God who always follows through a God who always brings us and leads us into triumph and victory so we're in the middle of a talks called free delivery we've been in Colossians chapter 1 verse 22, and we've been learning how to rest in the finished work of Jesus. So it starts with God, and it says it like this. Now, he has reconciled, he has restored you to himself through the death of Christ in the physical body. And as a result of this, as a result of what? As a result of what Jesus has done on the cross, he has brought you into his own presence. And now you are holy. You are blameless. This is according to God the Father. You stand before him without a single fault. Oh man, that is such good news, church. It doesn't mean you don't have faults. It doesn't mean you don't fall. It doesn't mean you don't miss the mark and sin. It just means that when God sees you, he sees you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He sees his sons and daughters through the firstborn son, Jesus. He's actually not looking at your performance at all or your payment for your sin at all. He's looking at Jesus's performance and Jesus's payment, which by the way was perfect. And God the Father is so pleased with his son. He loves what his son did. He loves the sacrifice that his son made for humanity once and for all. And when he sees you, he doesn't see what you've done. He sees what Jesus has already done and already finished on your behalf. God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. You got to get that in your spirit. He's as happy with you as he is happy with his son, Jesus. His favor rests on you as much as it rests on Jesus. And Jesus is sitting, where is he right now? Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 2.6 tells us, we have been raised up together with Christ. Talk about a promotion. Talk about elevation. We have been, we have been, the sons and daughters of God have been raised up with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that because of what Jesus has done for us, we have been redeemed, we have been restored, and we have been repositioned. That's right, repositioned. We have been seated with him in heavenly places. I want you to get this. We are seated with Christ. And if you are seated, that means the work is finished. Not only do you have a great position, but you also are at rest. You are seated positioned. The priests of the Old Testament, the priests of Israel, they never sat down because their work was never finished. There was always so much sin to take care of. But after Jesus finished his work on the cross, he sat down. And we are now seated and finished together with Christ. Ephesians 1.20 says this, it shows us the current seated position of those who are in Christ. 
this seat of yours, what it should do this morning is disperse fear from your heart. Disperse fear and anxiety away from what God could be mad at or how God's judgment could be coming on you. It says it like this. God sat him down at his own right hand, far above, far above all principality and all power and all might, all dominion, and above every other name that is named. Not only in this world, but that name, any name in the world which is to come. And he has all things. How many things? All things under Jesus' feet. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Where is Jesus? He's far above the enemy. He's far above every disease. He's far above every curse. He's far above every lack in this life. He is far, far above every virus. Not just above, far above all principality and power. He's far above every name, every new name of any disease. He is far above every name that can be named, the Bible says. He's far above it all. So that's where Jesus is. Far above disease, far above depression, far above dreadful anticipation of bad things, hopelessness. But I want to ask you this morning, where are you? Where are you right now, according to Ephesians chapter 2? That's right. We just read it. When God sees us, those of us who believe in Jesus, we are seated together right there with Christ in that same position, that far above position. Not only are we far above, but we're resting. We are seated. We are resting in the finished work of Jesus. We are not defeated. We are delivered. We're not defeated. We are set free. And therefore, we are delighted. Delighted. We are so excited and delighted. Now, what the enemy wants to get you to do is to get you to stand up in a fluster from your seated position and ask you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this thing? What are you going to do about the corona disease? What, what are you going to do about this job loss thing? What are you going to do about this educating your kids thing? And this is everywhere, and it's inescapable. So the enemy's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You need to do something about this. You need to stand up, and you need to fix this. And it all is a ploy to get you to stand up. That's what the enemy of your soul wants to get you to do, to stand up and to freak out and forget that you have a seated position with Christ that is far, far above. And the truth is, what we need to do is stay seated with Christ, is rest in the finished work of Jesus. Rest in the name that is far above every other name. Jesus isn't getting up, believe me. Jesus isn't freaking out. And if he's not freaking out, I need to get on his wavelength. John 16, says, In this world there will be trouble, but I have told you these things so that you trust in me, so that in me you might have peace. Think about what Jesus just said. He said, I'm telling you up front so that when crisis happens, your whole world doesn't collapse because you are seated. You are still. You are resting in my finished work. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say, believe in me and make me the Lord of your life. Pray this prayer and you'll never have another issue. No, he said, life at times will be challenging. There will be trouble, but take heart. Be brave because I am far above the world of trouble. I have overcome. I'm on top of the world of trouble. He's saying rest 
in me. He said it in Matthew, if you're tired, if you're heavy laden, if the enemy's trying to get you to figure out all the world's problems, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. That word soul is the same word David was speaking to. He said, my soul, why aren't you so downcast? Why are you so overwhelmed? Why are you so depressed? Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest for your soul. I'll set your mind at ease. I'll set your emotions at ease. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we find peace in the fact that Jesus is seated at peace. He's still seated. He's still on the throne. And his work is finished once and for all, above every name. But the enemy who likes to agitate and accuse you of doing nothing, disturb and disrupt, is trying to get you to stand up, trying to get you off of that seated position with Christ, and get you worried, get you anxious. Stand up and pace the halls of your home and try to figure out, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? But here's the thing. There's nothing for you to do because it's already been done. Jesus is not getting up. He's not surprised. He's not worried. He already did what needed to be done, and he has taken care of it, and his name is far, far above this corona crisis, this corona virus. He's not restless. He's resting. The enemy is telling you, the work is not finished. It looks like it's not finished. It feels like it's not finished. So many voices in our world are saying, it's not finished. You need to be afraid. You need to work it out. But today, you are calling the enemy's bluff. Sit down and say, it is finished by the work of Jesus. It is finished in the blood of Jesus. Enter into God's rest and remember where the, where the enemy is. Where is the enemy? Where is disease? It's far below. Where is sickness? Far below your seated position. You are seated with Christ far above. All principalities, all sicknesses, all disease. So whatever problem you're worried about, know this. You are already on top of it. Just the way we would say, God's got this. God's on top of this. You are on top of this. You are seated with Christ far above it in heavenly places. The enemy tries his best to get you out of your position, your rightful position of rest. He's trying his best to shake you up, to stir you up, to stand you up, to get you out of your position of rest. Because as long as you are in the position of resting in the finished work of Jesus, here's the thing, nothing can get to you. Nothing can shake you. You have the power to break the addiction just resting in the finished work of Jesus. You have the power to break the anxiety just resting in the finished work of Jesus. You have the power to break every curse resting in the finished work of Jesus. Every sickness resting in Jesus. Every place of poverty is overcome in Jesus' name. And when you get something that, that's already been taken care of and you're trying to figure it out and fix it, you lose your seated position of strength. The position of seated is a position of strength. And fear and worry and bondage, they start to take hold of you when you stand up. When you stand up and say, I got to do something. I got to do something. But as long as you stay seated, you reign in victory with Christ. If you believe it, go ahead and comment below, still seated. Still seated. Not defeated because you're still seated. So the enemy, he tries to agitate you out of your seat. He tries to accuse you of not doing enough to get you out of your position of rest. But the only thing God tells the believer to work for, 
The only thing God tells the believer to labor, to enter, is to labor, to enter into rest. It's in Hebrews 4.11 where the author is telling them to rest in the finished work of Jesus lest you start to not believe in what Jesus has already finished for you on the cross. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Unbelief in what? Unbelief in the finished work of Jesus. Labor to rest. Labor to rest. It's an oxymoron. Labor to enter into rest? Work to get to rest? God says the only work for Christians to do is to labor to be restful in what you believe is already finished at the cross in Jesus. So work at continuing to believe it is finished. Work at continuing to rest. Rest in the fact that God is going to protect me, that God is going to provide for me. I don't have to stand up because Jesus isn't standing up. Colossians 2.9, it says, In Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Here it is. And you, child of God, are complete in Christ. He says, here it is, Godhead fully in Jesus. And you are complete in Christ, who is the head of all principality and all power. You are complete in Christ. So this is saying, where Christ finished, we start. We start complete. His finish line is our starting line. We all pick up where Christ left off on the cross. And Christ left off with words saying, it is finished. But because that seems too good to be true, so many have taken the starting line, you are complete in Christ, and made it the finishing line of Christianity. That's the problem. We tell people, one day you'll really have victory. One day... You will be complete in Christ. We think in the natural. Instead of thinking from God's perspective, instead of seeing the way that God sees it, we reason from men's perspective. God's reasoning in God's reality is that you are already complete in Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, it's really finished. And if you should fall, if you appear incomplete, you're still complete. Your falling action does not incomplete you in Christ because your starting action did not complete you in the first place. It was your believing in the finished work of Jesus that completed you. So the starting line is you are complete. Don't make the starting line your finishing line where one day, somehow, you will be complete. Jesus was finished before you ever got started sinning. Before you ever got started doing well or doing poorly. And when you know you are complete in Christ, what do you do? When you know the pressure is off, what do you do? Ah, you sit down and you rest. There is no rest when you are trying to get something. There is no rest when you are striving to get something. Striving for victory. Praying, weeping for victory. But there is so much rest when you're praying from victory when you're praying from a position of seated rest now i know this is not natural grace is not natural natural is this do your best to please god and one of these days if god sees that you are sincere enough you're earnest enough maybe you'll be more complete than you were when you got started more complete than john or julie over there but that is natural religious uh, thinking it's 
natural religious theology. The truth is, it boggles your mind to say, you are complete to start off. On the cross, Jesus' last statement that he cried out in a loud voice was, it is finished. That boggles our minds to start finished. But that's where Jesus started it all for us. When he cried finished, we started. We start our Christian life with the finished work already done for us. When Jesus says it is finished, what is finished? The cup that he prayed would pass in the garden of Gethsemane. That's what's finished. It was a cup full of our sin, full of our curse, full of our judgment, full of our iniquity. He drank that cup dry. He finished it. The judgment is gone. There is no more judgment for you or for me. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, what about God's law? It's satisfied in Christ. What about God's holiness, pastor? Magnified. Because God's holiness says the wages of sin is death. If you sin, you die. Somebody died. Jesus died in our place. God's holiness, it's magnified. What about God's love? It's expressed for sinful humanity. It's finished. His first words recorded in the Bible when he was 12 years old, Jesus, his earthly mother and father were this. Don't you know, Mary and Joseph, I must be about my father's business? Those are Jesus' first recorded words in the Bible. His last recorded words were, it is finished. He finished his father's business. And let me make this statement, because we've been talking about the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus once and for all. Jesus did not die to save us from the father. This is not good cop Jesus, bad cop father. No. Jesus came to save us for the father. Please get that in your spirit. The father is not this big old angry guy in the sky while Jesus is like holding him off and keeping his wrath at a distance. No, no, no. For God, for God, the father, for God so loved the world that he gave and he sent his only begotten son. That is a divine partnership of love. And when Jesus finished the Father's business and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to capitalize on the finished work of the cross. And one God in three persons came into agreement to save you and me on earth and for all of eternity. To give us life to the fullest on earth and throughout all of eternity. Three, partnering together in love as one. And Jesus, the Word, became flesh, and he paid the price for us, but not to save us from the Father, but to save us for the Father, so we could be in communion, in relationship with him. Jesus did not come to earth to do his own thing. In John 17, he said, Father, I have come to reveal your name. So Jesus's mission was to reveal that God is not just God anymore. But God can be named Father. I came to do this, Father, so that your people are no longer just your people or your servants or your holy nation. But now your people are your sons and daughters. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He said, I came to make them not just distant God people, but to make them children of the Most High God. So that now we don't just call him God, we call him Father. I want to give you the seventh statement from Jesus on the cross. It's the word of victory. Hey, we win. Jesus said, it is 
finished. We've been going over the last seven statements of the last six hours of Jesus' life. And the final statement that Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It's one word in the Greek language. It's the word to tetelestai. We interpret it as it is finished. But it's actually one word, like a blanket statement, to tetelestai. And with that, he bowed. That's what the verse says. And with that, he bowed. I want you to catch this. He bowed. He did it. Jesus bowed his head. And he gave up his spirit. Rome didn't kill him. The Jewish people of the first century did not kill him. Jesus laid down his own life. He bowed and he gave up his spirit. In John 10, 18, he said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it as a volunteer, voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. So he laid it down. When he finished, he said, it is finished. And again, Jesus said, it is finished before you even started. He already had you in mind when he said, it's over. I've taken care of all the sickness, all the disease. I was wounded for your transgressions. I was beaten for your iniquities. And he said it like this, tetelestai, it's finished. The word means to be paid in full. Have you ever had anyone pay your bill in front of you at the, at the store or in line, maybe for coffee? Or maybe someone pulled out their credit card and said, I got it. If we're in the first century Jerusalem, speaking Greek, we would have said, Tetelestai, I got it. It's paid in full. Well, I'll get that. I'll get the tip. No, no, no. Tetelestai, I got the tip. It's paid in full. I got the bill. I got the tip. I got everything. Tetelestai, paid in full. Jesus is saying the price has been paid. Victory is secured. When an army would go to defeat another army, they would begin to shout, Tetelestai, it has been done. The war has been won. We have victory over the enemy. When a prisoner would serve their time and they'd be released after their sentence had been fulfilled, they'd place a stamp on his sentence that said, Paid in full, Tetelestai. The end of judgment, when a court hearing would be finished, the judge would lay down the gavel and say, Tetelestai, it is finished. And by the way, when the judge looks at you and me today in 2020, his verdict is to tell us die, not guilty, free. When a servant would come and finish a task, they would come back and say, to tell us die, it is finished, master. The work has been done. And the servant, he who knew no sin, became sin for us all. Philippians 2.6, Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So now the servant looks at the master. The service has been complete. To Tetelestai, Father. The Bible said that he laid his head down. This is in the Greek, it, 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 relating to his head, meaning he rested his head. How many of you know there's a difference between a full day's work where you just crushed it and you went out and did everything to your full capacity and you won, where you are really satisfied? And you lay your head on that pillow at night feeling so accomplished, resting in the finished work of what you did that day, saying, ah, it's done. I won. There's a big difference between that and feeling worn out, defeated, beat up, discouraged, your head's down. And the Bible says he laid down his head in rest, in completion. 
not in exhaustion. When he laid down his head on the cross, he did it in victory, not in tired exhaustion. It's in victory after a full life of dominating the unfinished work of his father. In Luke chapter 9, 58, Jesus said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm homeless. He wasn't saying, I'm broke. He's saying, he's saying, the finished work is not finished yet. It's not complete yet. I'm still working. I'm still healing. I'm still delivering. I'm ra- raising people from the dead. I'm preaching. I'm here to do the work of my Father. I can't lay down. This is not a time to rest. This is a time to work. So that's the same Greek phrase that he used on the cross. He said, I can't lay my head down yet. The price has not been paid yet. But now he says to Telestai. And he can now finally lay his dead head down in rest and in victory. I want to ask you, what do you think Jesus finds rest in? What do you think Jesus finds uh, victory in? He finds rest in your salvation. He finds rest in pouring out his life for you. One time, Mary and Martha, they were fighting in the kitchen. Martha's like, you need to come help me, Mary. You need to come help me, Mary. And Jesus is like, actually, Martha, Mary is feeding me more right now by taking from me. By serving her, I'm being fed more right now than you who are making me lunch. He says, I find rest in serving you. I find rest in your salvation. The work is completed. The price has been paid. The battle has been won. And you are free indeed. He who the Son sets free is to tell us die, finished, freely delivered indeed. I want to encourage you this morning, right where you're at in your home, the work has already been done. Don't stand up. Stay seated. Stay seated, resting in the finished work of Jesus. He is more than enough Savior for all of your struggles, for all of your sin, for all of your stress, for all of your anxiety. Jesus is more than enough Savior for whatever stuff is coming up against you. I want to encourage you, rest. Don't fall into the ploy. Don't stand up. Get out of your position. Stay seated in victory. It is finished. Call this bluff this morning. Say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know he has rescued me, that he has set me free from any sickness, from any disease, from any stress, from any financial burden. He has set me free indeed. Come on, I want to pray with you right where you're at this morning, just believing for a a purpose victory. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you want to come into a relationship with Jesus today for the first time, or you want to run back to Jesus, I'm telling you, he's not mad at you. He's crazy in love with you, and he is not disappointed. When he sees you, he sees his son in whom he is well pleased. You are holy. You are blameless. You stand before him without a single fault when you stand in the finished work of Jesus. So today, if you want to come into relationship with Jesus, it's so easy. The Bible says, believe in your heart and ask him to come in your mouth and with your mouth. Just ask him out loud and you will be saved. You will be freely delivered indeed. So today, right where you're at, if that's you, I just want you to join me in this prayer. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I trust in your finished work. I ask that you would forgive me. Wash me. Make me a new creation. You are more than enough for me. Thank you for paying the price.
today I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, which means let it be so. I want to pray with you right in your home this morning. I want to pray a a blessing. You may feel disrupted. I want to tell you, you are not defeated this morning. Keep your hopes up. Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, oh my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions? Come on, let's put our hope, our joyful expectation, anticipation of good things in a good God in God. Let's do it today. Come on. Jesus, we thank you that we have the victory. We thank you that in you, it is finished once and for all. Today, we rest in your finished work on the cross. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. I speak blessing. I speak hope. I speak life. I speak prosperity to you and your home. Lord, we ask that your hope would come and reign in these homes. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Thank you, church. Let's worship the Lord together.